Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 266 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by a photographer who's relatively new to photography, and he's really impressed me quite a bit in the way that he openly and passionately talks about the craft of landscape photography from his position of being an amateur. His name is Devin Rogers. Devin hails from Temecula, California, and it has become apparent to me that he has a deep passion for the outdoors and that he will be a name that we will be keeping an eye on for a long time. We had a great chat this week, and I think you'll enjoy where we take the conversation. On Patreon this week, Devin and I talk about why we think the wide-angle grand landscape image gets a bad rap. You can listen to this bonus episode and over 190 others by joining your peers and supporting the show financially on Patreon. See the show notes for details on how to help us out. Thank you. All right, let's get to this week's show with Devin Rogers. Devin Rogers, it's great to have you on the podcast. Matt Payne, thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, of course. Of course. I've been having a really great time going back and forth to you on any number of subjects now over on the Discord channel, which has been a really great place to connect with new people that I didn't know about before. And I think what, maybe like six months into me being in there, you were like, yeah, I met you one time at Mesa Arch, <laughs> which was like, <laughs> the ultimate embarrassing moment so uh, yep yeah <laughs> it's a it's a really cool spot but yeah it's got like this stigma now somehow um but uh yeah no the uh the discord chat has been really great um chatting with you about all all the different uh kind of ethical and uh you know just uh the deeper subjects on landscape photography the the channel in general i think is really great to to meet other people and you know, have engaging discussions without having, uh, you know, any sort of attacks or, uh, you know, heated debates. Uh, you know, sometimes it definitely gets engaging, but we usually keep it pretty civil. Um, and I guess just for the listeners, we're talking about the Landscape Photographers Worldwide channel on Discord, um, started by Tristan Todd, I think last year. Uh, but yeah, it's a great place. So check it out. Yeah. And there's really good threads in there on post-processing and image critique and, all kinds of stuff, and you get you get more feedback. Then that's that's a banger. Yeah, yep, yeah. There's the image critique channel. is a, It's a lot of fun on both ends, whether you're giving the critique or receiving it. Um, it's it's very useful to get actual meaningful feedback. Yeah, rather than just the typical algorithm driven feedback on Instagram. Right. Well, cool, man. So for for people that aren't familiar with you, I mean, you're pretty new to the scene. I'm curious if you could uh, just Kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a hobbyist landscape photographer. Uh, never made a dime off it. Been doing it for about, well, since like mid-2018. Um, my wife and I went on a trip when she graduated uh, her undergrad. Uh, we went to the Galapagos Islands. We we're fortunate enough to be able to go there. And, uh, you know, I had some friends that were kind of into photography a bit and my brother was into landscape photography a bit and I just kind of figured it'd be a shame to go to this amazing place and not take any pictures so uh figured it was time to borrow my brother's old Nikon 
DSLR. It's like some D, D60, I don't know, some tiny APS-C old model. <laughs> uh, and figured out how to use that. Brought a couple junk lenses and figured out how to take pictures. Um, and that's kind of what started this whole journey. Uh, but yeah, I've always had a, a love for the outdoors um, and just creativity in general. You know, I've always been into drawing and uh, in my teenage years, more so music. Um, I grew up kind of involved, heavily involved in the Boy Scouts, did a lot of camping, hiking, high adventure type stuff. Um, so I guess it kind of makes sense that all those passions came together eventually into photography. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, not a ton of outdoorsy stuff to do there, especially in the way of mountains. Uh, beautiful in the fall, but uh, whenever I came out to, to Utah for school, I definitely fell in love with the mountains, uh, got into you know hiking, rock climbing, mountaineering eventually, and skiing. And that's sort of been the basis of my passion for photography, you know, getting out into the into the mountains and seeing all this beauty for all those years, but not being able to capture it. You know, I always just kind of said, oh, it's not even worth bothering because the photos never do it justice. Um, so I'm pretty stoked to kind of learn a bit about photography and at least attempt to do it justice now. It's interesting you mentioned being in the Boy Scouts. Um, I find that people that are exposed to nature and the outdoors at an early age tend to have a um, similar disposition as one another and oftentimes a very, um, how can I say this, juxtaposed viewpoint on nature than people that perhaps haven't been exposed to it from an early age in terms of what it means to them and how we interact with nature and what photography in nature is to us and things like that. So I'm curious if you want to talk a little bit about that as it relates to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, my personal relationship with nature and exploration um, definitely comes from a place of almost healing. Uh, I, I believe in the healing power of nature and, you know, going out into the wilderness and finding balance, finding peace, uh, you know, personal regulation. Um, I definitely, maybe you can relate, but I definitely tend to get grouchy and not my best self when I, when I don't manage to get out into nature often enough. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, that's where I come from. And maybe that's because of my background, uh, growing up, you know, going out in the woods as a kid, building forts. I just always loved being out in nature and maybe that's why it's healing for me. Um, I'm sure at least that's part of it, but you know, I do believe kind of in the more universal, I think for anybody, it can be a, a beautiful thing and it can, can help anybody kind of find their way through life. If you go and commune with nature and commune with these, these beautiful moments that happen. And that's, that's part of why I'm inspired to capture those moments is to share those with others and inspire them to, to go out and find those themselves. Yeah, I love it. What do you do when you're not making images? What's your what kind of work are you in? Oh yeah, I'm in uh, I'm in construction management. I'm a cost estimator for a bridge and highway builder. Um, I worked in person for them while I was in Utah for a few years, and when we needed to leave, they let me go on remote full time. So, so yeah, I can nice. pretty much do that from wherever at this point. Um, and it's definitely a it's a great job. I mean, I, I definitely started that job not being fully passionate about it. I always kind of said I didn't really care about it that much. It was just kind of a, a means to an end, a way to support you know, a family and to fund my, my passions. Um, but I've, I've found a, a way to kind of, you know, take pride. I found my way towards that, uh, taking pride in building the infrastructure and 
you know, providing an essential service to society, um, despite the fact that, you know, it's not necessarily rooted in any of my passions. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's, uh, it's important to, to have a balance in life and to, you know, for some people having your passion be your, be your career and be your means of income that works out. And for other personality types, it doesn't work out. And for me, I'm definitely the latter. Um, I think this has been discussed on the podcast a lot, but yeah, I just personally, I don't think I could, you know, maybe one day if it, if it made sense right now, it doesn't seem like it would make sense to quit my day job and go full time. Uh, obviously I'm not really set up for that having never made any money off of it, but, uh, yeah, I just don't want to kind of mix the two worlds. I want to keep my passion kind of free to just flourish and, you know, just kind of whatever I feel like doing at any point in time is what I do in regards to my photography. And I don't put any pressure on myself to, you know, it's nice to have that freedom. Yeah. I love that. So as someone who's new in landscape photography, what has been your approach to hone in on your, on your style and your personal preferences? Well, it's definitely been a process. Um, my style is always changing. I always say my images from six months ago rarely look good to me anymore. Um, <laughs> right, right. And I, and I often go back and, you know, the ones that I really love, I update them every few months just to kind of meet my current standards or my current styles and tastes. Uh, but yeah, that, that process has definitely been, uh, you know, it's an emotional process almost to, uh, you know, you have this deep emotional connection with your images and you want them to kind of come out a certain way and you have these photographers that inspire you um, and it can be frustrating for sure when they don't look that way and I've, I've definitely been through many phases where you know maybe I overcompensate for my shortcomings as a photographer with post-processing um, you know maybe I'll push an image further than it should be pushed and it'll come out looking you know not natural or over-processed um, but I, I find that as as my skills develop and as I as I grow capable of capturing better images to begin with, uh, I, I find that I can kind of make them better overall. I don't post process any less than I ever did, but uh, lately it's been more of uh, how how can I be subtle? How can I keep it more natural looking? Um, but yeah, I just I, I try to draw inspiration from the photographers that inspire me, uh, Enrico Fassati. Has always been a huge, huge inspiration. Um, you know, I consider his images just perfect in a lot of ways. You look at them and it's just mind blowing how he's able to, you know, they're obviously heavy on post processing sometimes, but he keeps it very, it, it still feels natural and it feels inspiring and enchanting. And, and for me, it's about that feeling. Um, and the, at the end of the day, it's about the ability to connect with nature and find that inspiration. So. Yeah, I'm, I, you reminded me like back in the day, like 20, I don't know, 2013, around in there, I used to make, you know, take photos of these amazing scenes, but like there's really bad clouds or like the sunset didn't go off, whatever. So I would just add in the color with like a gradient in Lightroom, you know, like add a gradient and then change the color. Yeah, <laughs> And it yeah. just looks so ridiculous. I like, I don't like looking back on it is, it's just hilarious, but you know, it's like, it's part of your evolution, you know? Yeah. I think we, we're all familiar with how to make a sunset, uh, how to take gray clouds and crank it towards magenta and warm it up and all of a sudden, <laughs> right? boom, you, you've got a banger. <laughs> it's just funny Something how, that. it's just funny how we're pushed sometimes to, to do that. Like, oh, this photo could look so much better if I just did this 
thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think part of it comes from just what our expectations are and what inspires us and inspires us. And obviously, you know, sunsets are beautiful and inspiring. Um, and so that's what people tend to try to emulate. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I love a good sunset image as well, but when, you know, eventually you just kind of start to find other ways. I mean, really it's rooted in frustration. Uh, you know, you, yeah, a lot of times you just get these boring blue skies and you're like, all right, I'm tired of investing time and money in these trips and uh, I'm not getting the images I wanted. So you start seeking out uh, other methods of getting good images that inspire you that still, you know, provide that connection with nature. And then kind of whenever you do end up getting a, a great sunset or sunrise or epic light, it's, it's more just, uh, you know, a bonus, the icing on the cake, but you, you can't really expect those because otherwise you're probably going to burn out pretty quickly. Yeah, that was my experience. I, my expectation was just way too high for every single moment. Like, I don't know what it was, but um, I found myself almost quitting photography, actually, because of that. I just had these ridiculous expectations of every time I'd go out and, of course, never met the expectation. And, and then my post-processing skills weren't ever good enough to, you know, this is back before you could just do, like, one-click sky replacements, <laughs> you know? So, like... I just got frustrated. And then for me, like what saved me was just seeking more personal images that don't re depend on epic conditions to be interesting or beautiful. So, yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think the, the role that expectations play in any sort of passion driven endeavor, I think they can really get in the way. Um, we, I've heard it put as, you know, you shouldn't, you should never should on yourself. Uh, <laughs> you know, don't, uh, don't, place some sort of imperative on yourself to to create or you know and it's obviously different if it's your if it's your job if it's your income and that's part of why i try to keep those those things separate for me personally but um yeah i think just whether it's you know expecting a certain condition expecting to get a good image on every trip or to have a certain amount of trips per year a certain amount of photo shoots per month whatever it is um if you can keep those expectations out of it and just let it be you know like i was saying before it Whatever I do with my photography, it's exactly what I feel like doing at any given point in time. If I feel like going out, I go out. If I don't feel like going out, if I feel like sleeping in on a Saturday, I sleep in. And, you know, when the bug catches me, I, I book a flight and I go um, or, you know, take a road trip. So it's it's nice having that freedom. And, and part of it is having the perspective to, to realize that, you know, you don't need to have a, a post every week or every day on Instagram. You don't need to constantly output um, a lot of the images that you know, compositions that I've scouted, images that I'd, I'd like to make, I kind of fully expect them to be a multi-year process, trial and error, go back, you know, hike that 10 miles again and try again until I get the conditions I'm hoping for, you know. And I think the ability to do that really re relies on a deep connection with na nature. Otherwise, you just, yeah, you get burnt out. You, uh, you have to really enjoy the process and enjoy just being out in the mountains or being out in the forest and whether you come away with an image or not. Uh, that connection with nature is what is driving you rather than, a, you know, your, your output as an artist. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely where I draw my energy from is that connection. I love it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you were first a wildlife photographer. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Like I was saying, I started out with that trip to the Galapagos, uh, went back to Utah and just, went crazy, you know, started renting a camera from the university, um, 
with a junky, you know, 200 millimeter zoom lens. And I'd put like this uh, teleconverter on it that completely ruined the image quality, but I needed the reach. So I'd go out and try to photograph just any animals I could find around the valley there in Utah. And yes, you know, eventually as a student, uh, I just kind of said, screw it and put a, got a couple credit cards and put a camera and a big 100 to 400 lens on the credit card and uh, started trying to get serious with it and to take some decent images. And I understand that um, when you were a wildlife photographer, you found that you found that it required a lot of patience and dedication, which is what I think a lot of us have come to realize about uh, wildlife photography. Um, do you feel that landscape photography requires the same skills? I think it could and it should for sure. Um, you know, I hate to say the word should in regards to, to an artistic endeavor, but uh, you know, it's just like any, any other artistic endeavor. You really should dive deep and, and try to have this, this deep, this deep commitment to the intricacies and the subtle, you know, things that, that make an image great versus a good image. Um, and there's, you know, as you know, there's a lot that goes into that, um, you know, even beyond just technical knowledge and ability and talent, uh, there's a time commitment and a patience aspect that, uh, as a wildlife photographer, I definitely dabbled in. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm anywhere near that level of commitment as a landscape photographer, though I do try to be. Um, I think, you know, wildlife photographers, they, you know, they'll sit under a bush and just wait for hours, days on end until the, the moment happens. You know, the closest I really got to that was this, uh, these local foxes that kind of hung out in this park up in Salt Lake City. And I would go out there and kind of caught wind of where they were. And I just went back, you know, time and time again over a couple of months. And after a few weeks, I was able to figure out their patterns. And I would sit in this bush with a blind kind of over me. And I couldn't even see out of the thing because it was just like this little poncho, this camouflage poncho. I'd stick the the big lens through that and I would just look through the through the, the camera and that's how I would see because otherwise the foxes would see you or smell you and they just wouldn't come near. Um, and I did that for a while and I loved it. Uh, and then the seasons changed and uh, the next year the foxes were all caught with some kind of, you know, skin thing. Their fur was all falling off. And, you know, I just kind of, that was my main uh, source of wildlife photography being kind of in an urban environment. And so I kind of stopped with that and, you know, transitioned more to landscape just because of, you know, practical reasons. I was able to had time to go out and chase the sunset, but I didn't have time to drive up to Jackson Hole, Wyoming and, you know, every weekend and try to chase the wildlife there. But yeah, it really is a different, I think it's a different level of commitment. Uh, some of the best wildlife photographers in the world, they're, they're really just, that's all they do. That's all they think about. They, uh, you know, they'll get up before sunrise and just go sit there and wait and wait every day. Uh, it's it's really inspiring to me, and I think if if we could take a portion of that dedication and apply it towards landscape photography, then we could really elevate the craft to a new level. And that's not to say that there aren't photographers that do that. Obviously, there's some incredible people out there. Um, you talk about Galen Rowell a lot on the show, and he's a really great example of you know really going out and uh, you know the the concept of participatory landscape photography. Uh, but I'd say. On average, most landscape photographers are not doing that, and most landscape photographers are not, uh, you know, they're, 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 maybe I shouldn't even say most, but there's definitely a trend of uh, 
taking shortcuts and being lazy with it and just wanting to get the result. The goal is just that final image and how you came about it doesn't necessarily matter as much. <laughs> Not to like get more hate mail, but I mean, are we talking about, <laughs> you know, stamp collecting? I mean, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like you, you see a photo, you know where the photo was taken. You know, if you get there at this time with this lens, you're probably have a pretty good chance of capturing a similar image that someone else has already captured kind of a thing. Not necessarily. I mean, I, I realize that that's the hobby for a lot of people. That's what you have time for. You don't have time to dig in and research or you don't have the means or the health to go out and trek through the mountains or seek out original compositions. Sure. And if that's if that's what uh, drives you and you, you find fulfillment in that, then yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. I guess I'm, I'm talking more, you know, just shortcuts in terms of post-processing um, and, you know, I'm definitely guilty and I've, I've been through phases, you know, with uh, creating light that wasn't there or, uh, you know, a sky replacement because you just came away with, you know, boring bluebird or plain gray skies, uh, you know, and I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying people shouldn't do that, but yeah, me personally, I find more fulfillment and seeking out the conditions naturally. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not uh, no stranger to post-processing and enhancing an image and, you know, making it look good in a 2D environment, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I just think for, it's, a, it's a personal thing, you know, what drives you. What For, for me, I, I, I like to say that I get fulfillment from sharing my images with others and uh, spreading the love of nature, but I'd say that's more secondary to my my personal passion of just taking the pictures and and I don't get as much joy and fulfillment out of uh, you know shortcutting it in that way um, I've, I've done it and I've shared images that are like that and I've realized you know I'm not that excited to share them I'm not that excited to create them um, and if I kind of did that only then I think I'd probably quit photography pretty quickly um, I get fulfillment out of more challenging challenging myself to uh, you know, really be patient with it and really seek out those moments in nature because, uh, you know, they do happen. Those those dramatic conditions, those epic, you know, Mark Adamus scenes, they, they're they out there and they're waiting for us to, to go capture them. Um, they're definitely more rare. Um, you, you may only, over a career, you may only come away with, you know, a dozen of them in your portfolio. Uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's worth it to to chase those moments and make them authentic. Yeah, it reminds me of a really good quote from a book that I read uh, last summer. Um, have you read Desert Solitaire? Most of it, yeah. I've probably read most of it a couple of times. I don't think I've ever finished the book. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah Edward, Edward Abbey. Yeah, his quote is, all things excellent are, are as difficult as they are rare, said a wise man. If so... What happens to excellence when we eliminate the difficulty and rarity? Yeah. And to me, that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you really couldn't put it better than that. Um, it's, I mean, there, there's two aspects. There's the aspect of keep, keeping it, uh, I'm reminded of The Incredibles, <laughs> you know, the Pixar <laughs> movie. Uh, if, yeah, yeah. When, every, when everyone's super, no one is. Um, you know, if, if you make these incredible moments common, uh, as has kind of happened with Instagram and social media, you, you're just seeing a banger every single day, nonstop, and it's not so special anymore. Uh, which I think is a shame because personally, I really 
draw a lot of inspiration and uh, I, I feel something with those those incredible epic dramatic conditions um, and I don't want that to be cheapened I don't want that to to be made into just something that you know the photographers you respect would roll their eyes at and say oh that's just you know that's just another sky replacement or that's you know paint painted that light in um, and I, I don't think you should have to qualify whenever you do capture an incredible image like that uh, that was completely natural and as you saw it and nature provided that amazing moment, you shouldn't have to say, oh, don't worry, this is 100% real. But, you know, it's a shame that it is kind of assumed that that's just uh, fake, or maybe not even assumed that it's fake, but, it's, you know, it's a disconnect. It's assumed by all the other photographers that it's fake, and it's assumed by the public that it's real. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, which is a shame, because, uh, I don't know, I think that the focus should be on nature and the beauty that nature can provide, not to... Uh, look at my talent, look at uh, my output as an artist. I think the best artists are able to, rather than create something of their own accord um, or output something from themselves, they're able to convey something that's greater than them and uh, kind of be a, a channel or a vessel for that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do want to explore this idea of art with you more thoroughly and more deeply, especially as someone relatively new to the craft. So first of all, do you see yourself as an artist? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I've always kind of felt a draw towards creative outputs, um, like I was saying, music and drawing and uh, now photography. Um, I've never felt totally satisfied with my output as an artist or really felt like it was anything to uh, to brag about or to showcase too much. Um, but I do find a lot of personal fulfillment in creating art, and I do consider landscape photography a form of art. So I guess by extension, yes, I'm an artist. Uh, but maybe in terms of how I consider myself, maybe not in the traditional sense of, yeah, like I was saying, outputting this this thing that represents me, that represents my feelings or my uh, passion or, you know, I don't know how to put it. Uh, I, I think I said it before on the Discord channel. Uh, it's kind of like, like the difference between drawing from a well versus a, a glorified bowel movement. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I hate to put anybody's work artwork down, but a lot of it seems like a lot of artists just want it to be a representation of them. It's how I felt in the moment, how how my vision for this scene, you know, which is fine. But personally, I think it's a there's a there's a higher form of art where you're you're not, you know, it's 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 kind of like uh, we've all heard of songwriters uh, and artists who say, you know, it kind of just came to me. I didn't really write this song. Uh, came to me in a dream or it just flowed through me and uh, I just kind of recorded it, but it wasn't me. Um, that's how I like to think of uh, any artistic endeavor, or at least, you know, the highest form of an artistic endeavor and true inspiration is really, you're just channeling that. And so in the context of nature photography, you're really channeling that natural beauty um, rather than uh, creating it. It is interesting to think about um, because I often hear some people say that like more documentary style nature photography isn't art. And I also have heard people say that, you know, if you're not changing something about the scene, then it's not art. I'm sure you can guess, but I, I personally reject those assertions. But I do think that there's more to creating art than just purely representing exactly what something is in in a moment like there's a little bit like you have to put some of yourself as the artist into it right like 
you know, I have this image behind me of this these sand dunes, and I had to wait for like this perfect moment, right? And so, and then I had to edit it to a certain degree, and I also had to do some focus stacking, and it's a telephoto like 400 millimeter image, and blah 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 blah. So, like, it's it's there's more to it than just pure representation of moment. Yeah, no, uh, I tend to agree. I think that. You know, I'm, I'm definitely somewhere in between the, the documentarian strict, uh, no post-processing style and, you know, the full on do whatever the heck you want, uh, whatever you felt, whatever your vision is for the image. Um, and mostly that's just because, uh, you know, not just the technical limitations of the camera, but the limitations of representing a 3D scene in 2D space, you know, to, to make it uh, to make it inspiring, to really draw you in, you kind of, you know, Raise the blacks in the background, darken them in the foreground, introduce some more depth, uh, dodge and burn here and there. Um, you know, the occasional, uh, you know, saturation, a little Orton glow here and there, you know, that sort of thing. Just to just kind of make it intriguing, uh, you know, make it feel like it felt while you were there. Make it as inspiring as it was for you standing there, um, but, you know, not strictly uh, out of camera, JPEGs only or that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, it's so funny whenever that topic comes up, people are like, well, it's not like you were just posting your raw files. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's yeah. just funny. Yeah, and it, see, it seems like that mentality is, is you know, it's it's not totally dead, but it's definitely uh, the, the, the debate that used to be edit your photos, don't edit them, is now uh, more of how much should you edit them and how far should you go. Uh, but it seems like in general, most people nowadays are okay with uh, at least some degree of post-processing just to make the image uh, intriguing in a 2D format. Totally. What, in your opinion, is the goal of art? Ooh, heavy questions. Uh, um, maybe you're familiar with the the Picasso quote that uh, art is a lie that tells the truth. I guess that's a uh -huh. paraphrase. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I tend to think of it. You know, it's it's you're, you're creating this thing, um, that isn't necessarily the real thing. A photograph is not the scene. It's not reality. It's it's a facsimile of reality. Um, you know, it's it's what you draw from the well uh, in the earlier metaphor. Um, Tolkien from you know Lord of the Rings author Tolkien. I'm a huge fan, uh, and he he called it subcreation. You know, he talked about the, these worlds that he created with Lord of the Rings, uh, and that was kind of his term for that. Uh, you know, art, poetry, anything that you're 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 creating it's not necessarily coming from you it's coming from this this higher source this this sub creation whereas the primary creation would be nature would be reality um so it's your sub creation is not a thing unto itself it's it's a representation of the the higher thing whatever you you know feel that is um it's it's kind of like when i think of art i think of you know the the myth of prometheus you know, snatching the the sacred flame from the gods and bringing it back down to earth. Uh, that's, you know, that's kind of how I tend to think of it. You're, you're grabbing this a little bit, you're stealing this away from the gods and you're bringing it back so other people can uh, enjoy this thing that you, for whatever reason, have the ability or the talent to, uh, to capture. How can you tell the difference between when that is happening versus when it's something else? Or is that even... A is that even worth trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it's 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 really an immediate thing. Uh, you know, if you wanted to get analytical with it, I'm sure you could tell where a photographer is coming from 
with their specific motivations. But for me, it's, uh, you know, you feel it immediately when you see the image. And, and maybe that's just a privilege as a photographer. I can kind of tell if an image is, uh, you know, representative of reality or not representative of that higher source of inspiration or if it's just a photographer trying to promote themselves trying to draw attention to themselves and what they produced um you know you you hear it in the way they talk about the scene and the way they talk about nature and their connection with nature um but really i think it should just be a personal thing and uh i don't you know you shouldn't get too far into judging where other where other artists are coming from um because everybody's on their own path their own journey uh but I definitely think that we should all be introspective with it and just ask where where we are coming from as an individual and as an artist. Uh, what what drives us? Um, you know, you have to ask yourself if if Instagram disappeared tomorrow, would you? Or if you lost any means of sharing your work tomorrow, would you still uh, would you still take pictures? And that can be insightful, help you figure out what some of your motivations are. And it's interesting because the intention of my question was actually for you and your own work, but I like that you took it or you did, but I'm curious, how would you change your answer? If at all, if, if you knew that I was asking you, how would you know the difference in your own, in your own photos, and the work that you're producing? Okay. Um, with my own work, it's really, really comes down to feeling. Um, it's just kind of this spark that's there when you're on, you know, when, when you're doing things right, or at least when I'm doing things to my standards and, uh, things are coming together. I feel this inspiration. I'm stoked to to get home and uh, find that magic that's on the SD card. Start working with it and share it. There's just an excitement through the entire process. Um, an excitement, you know, kind of this well of energy that I don't think ever would run dry. Um, whereas, like I was saying before, if I am kind of overdoing an image, if I'm kind of you know making something that wasn't there or something that didn't really happen, I'm just never as excited and. Uh, I don't feel as fulfilled or as stoked to share the images or to uh, you know to work with them in the first place. And it just kind of, you know, it's a low energy thing. You kind of do it because there are these other motivations. You do feel this desire to produce a certain style of image or whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, I quickly try to catch myself and realize, you know, that's, that's not why I'm doing this and that's not a sustainable uh, energy source for me. So it sounds like you, you've experienced that before. In your, in oh yourself. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I've I've been through phases. Um, you know, I, from the get go, I've definitely tried to keep it fairly natural. But you know, as as a fairly new photographer, um, I'm still in the process of learning. Uh, still in the process of uh, you know purchasing others. You know, post processing tutorials or YouTube videos or whatever. I'm always trying to gather new techniques and information. And especially over the last year and a half or so. Um, I've kind of been on this journey of, of doing that, you know, photographers that I love, I'll buy their, uh, their tutorials and I'll work my way through them. And that process, um, after a while kind of led me to, okay, well, everybody else seems to be doing these things. So I should do that too, because that's how I'll make images that look the way I want them to look. Um, and it's, it's definitely a more recent transition to where I, I feel a deeper dedication to uh, keeping it natural, making images that represent what truly happened there. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say rules, but definitely staying within a certain set of uh, boundaries um, to produce the work that I want to produce and to make the images look like I want them to look. If, if I didn't really get the condition that I wanted in the field, then now my recourse is go back, try again, or, you know, just let it go rather than try to force it 
on a computer. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked about this before, the, uh, the imposition of rules on any form of art. Um, and, and personally, I think that, you know, everything has rules. You know, any game that exists only exists because of the rules that define it. Um, you know, photography can only be defined as photography because you're using a camera to capture those images. Otherwise, you know, it's drawing or painting or whatever. Um, so I think we'd all agree that there are rules to a certain extent. It's just where do you draw that line? Um, and, f- you know, for me personally, uh, more recently, the uh, the competition that you were a part of creating the Natural Landscape Photography Awards is the guidelines that you you guys set forward with that competition kind of sets a new standard almost, um, or maybe not a new standard, but definitely uh, uh, antithesis to the the typical, you know, do whatever you want, do what you feel, uh, make the image look how you felt or how you want it to look. Uh, and that, that set a pretty good baseline for me personally um, as, as a relatively new photographer who's gone through kind of all these different phases and tried out many different processing styles. I, I feel pretty comfortable and happy now settling on that as a baseline um, not saying by any means that every single image I process would, would pass your uh, your raw verification with the competition but I definitely try to start there and you know just in general keep the uh, the ethic of I want this to look how it looked when I was there it's funny we um, we were struggling last year to get youth entries and we had found a connection that knew a lot of younger photographers that were under 18 and we were trying to get them to enter the competition. And a bunch of them said that they didn't want to enter because art has no rules and they weren't going to subject their photos to any rules, which I just, I thought was, I had a smile on my face, but I was also partially kind of like sad by it a little bit just because it's like, well, you could try, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) right. Yeah, I mean, it just comes down to what you want to do. Um, but at a certain point, you have to stop calling it photography. Um, you know, not saying like, oh, you swapped a sky, you're no longer a photographer. Um, but at a certain point, it is a whole new thing. And we kind of have to define the rules. And if that means we create a subcategory of natural landscape photography versus uh, more liberal landscape photography, then so be it. But we, I think we do need to at least define what uh, what the boundaries are whether it's a subgenre of photography or not. Um, otherwise, it's just kind of a free-for-all and uh, nobody knows what the heck's going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, now 50% of listeners are going, yeah, Devin, you say it. And the other 50% are saying, that guy is clueless. So, <laughs> luckily, luckily, I have no reputation to tarnish. Bring it on. <laughs> it is funny, though, um, that particular issue gets uh, – it, get, it it brings up the the heat in your chest for some people. I know it does me. Yeah, and um, I think that I think that is just because there's there's different uh, different motivations. Everybody's approaching this art form from a from a different place, and yeah, there's there's people that approach it from a from a from a place of just a, a almost sacred appreciation of nature, uh, where you you don't want to tarnish that. And then you know some people want to create a more you know surrealist fantasy like form of art and i think that's fine too it's just you know we we do need to draw the line between those two things and uh, i think that that's you know that's definitely starting to happen especially with you know with this new competition um there's almost uh you could almost say the split is between you know the international landscape photography of the year style versus the natural landscape photography awards style where uh, anything goes versus uh 
you know, let's try to keep this within certain guidelines. And I think there's room for both, for sure. I don't mean to uh, disparage any any form of photography, um, but I'm personally excited for for where this kind of new. I keep saying new. I know it's not new. There's been people that, that uh, adhere to those guidelines uh, all throughout the history of photography, but uh, new to me for sure. Um, and I'm stoked to see where it takes the the genre and the the art form of landscape photography. I think that there's definitely some untapped potential there, um, especially with you know those those epic, dramatic, wide angle scenes that typically require or you know attract a lot of post processing that you know pushes the boundaries. Um, you know, you and I both know that there's that those scenes really do happen. Um, it's it's kind of interesting to me though. It seemed like the submissions going through all the submissions and the winners with the natural landscape photography awards last year. Um, there weren't, you know, as many of those scenes, I don't know if that's just they weren't submitted or they didn't pass the raw verification or, or what that is, but I'd love to see more of that in the future. Well, we've been trying to share as many as we can on our social media channels for sure. Part of it was, um, well, actually this is an interesting corollary. I, you know, I think, to your point, a lot of those types of images are fairly rare in terms of a wide angle grand scenic working as a really, really powerful image without some dynamic conditions going on. And I think people that adhere more to that natural style have gravitated more towards types of scenes where that's not needed, you know? And that's why I think we had probably... 30% more of our entries were intimate landscapes. And I think that's wise because those types of scenes don't require that those conditions as much. Yeah, I know that, that makes sense. Uh, it's, I have a lot of respect for, for those photographers, you know, Eric Bennett, I think sets a really great standard. Um, you know, he definitely does quite a bit of wide angle work as well, but he's got some really great galleries of, uh, of intimate, quiet scenes. Um, nothing but respect for, for that style of photography. Personally, I'm not super great at it. You know, I definitely have probably portfolios worth of intimate images just sitting on my hard drives that I've never touched. And mainly that's just because I'm not that excited about them, uh, probably because I'm not that good at making them. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I just, you know, like I was saying before, I tend to just do whatever I feel like doing. And usually what I feel like chasing after is the the wide angle scenes. Um, so that's, that's what I do, um, you know. A lot of photographers who are better than me are able to find inspiration and uh, make these incredible scenes out of just the most seemingly mundane little moments in nature. And that's the coolest thing ever. Uh, I just, I don't know why, for whatever reason, I don't draw a ton of inspiration from a, a lone cottonwood tree. Uh, even though I do think it's beautiful, I've just never been stricken by that sort of scene when I'm out in the field. Um, not to, you know, disparage that sort of scene or make uh, make light of it, I think. Yeah, and maybe that'll change over time. Who knows? I mean, I know there's a place I have been going to here in Colorado in fall for probably probably 10 years now. And probably the first five years I went, I only captured wide-angle, grand scenic type stuff, right? And, and then it took going back to the location over and over again to start seeing some of those scenes and appreciate appreciating them more and you know, like you said, there's actually in that particular spot, there's this incredible cottonwood tree that catches this early morning light and just yep. looks phenomenal. But I missed it five years in a row. And 
And now that's the kind of scene that, I mean, I like both. I mean, I'm, I don't, I think they're both awesome, but I've, I've grown to, to liking to try to find both types of scenes. For sure. Yeah. And it does seem like there's a kind of a journey or like a pattern um, where, you know, as a more experienced photographer, you tend to gravitate more towards those intimate and quiet scenes. There's been some professional photographers that have been openly vocal about that, that journey, you know, uh, Alistair Ben, Alex Noriega, you're pretty vocal about uh, kind of maybe not abandoning, but moving away from those epic and dramatic wide angle scenes and more towards the, the quiet, intimate stuff, um, which I think is awesome. Yeah, I'm just maybe not there yet. Maybe I never will be there. All I know is right now what inspires me. No, that's great. If, if you're not riding that train of your own personal ins- inspiration, then I think you'll probably burn out pretty quickly. So it's important to just be honest with yourself. So, yeah, you know, we both have full-time jobs. So, you know, I would love to get to know how you balance the need to get out and make new work versus the man's on your daily life. How do you go about making work that is not derivative of others with such limited time? Well, first off, <laughs> I don't uh, I, I don't know if I can honestly say that I've ever made an image that wasn't derivative. Okay. Uh, most there's, of no, them, there's no shame in that. It wasn't meant as a like yeah. insult or something. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a negative thing. And especially as a newer photographer, it's almost necessary. Um, with my you know post processing, I usually have some other photographer's image on the other screen. Just trying to think, okay, how can I draw inspiration from that? How can I make it look sort of like that um, compositionally? Yeah, it's all pretty derivative still. Um, but uh, yeah, the balance between uh, pursuing my passion and you know, just the, the day-to-day rigors of having a career or being in school or whatever it may be. It's definitely not something I'm new to. It's kind of always been that way. Um, even before my photography, um, I was every weekend when I was in school, my undergrad, I was going down to the desert in Moab, rock climbing. Um, I eventually learned how to ski, uh, just always kind of going out and pursuing whatever random passion had taken over my life that year. Um, so I'm kind of used to that with photography and I've kind of found a way to just be okay with doing it less, um, but really maximizing my time when I am doing it. Um, and everybody's different with how much time they spend. And I'm always curious to hear how much time other photographers spend out in the field. Uh, for me, I'd say at maximum right now, it's, it's one good day a month with a couple, you know, maybe three, four at most good trips out of the year where I actually do a road trip or fly somewhere to go take pictures. Um, and yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely helpful to have a, a job that can support that financially. Um, I have an amazing wife who is very patient. <laughs> Whenever we go on a trip, she's okay with me spending a significant amount of that time we have together, taking pictures, holding my lenses. Uh, so yeah, that's my first piece of advice is get a significant other to uh, hold your umbrella and lenses for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think uh, you just have to uh, find the balance and really it comes down to uh, defining overall, you know, stepping back from photography and from the passion side of things, look at your life as a whole and say, what what do I value as a person? What really drives me? Because there's a reason that you don't just live in a van and quit your job and go, uh, you know, some people do, but there's a reason if you're struggling with this that you haven't, it's because you also value something else, whether it's your career intrinsically or whether it's just being able to support your family um, or just to have that play money, whatever it is, um, there's something else you value. And so if you find that you have this kind of uh, dissonance between those values, 
I'd say the best thing to do is step back and, and really just be honest with yourself and define those things to begin with, get them on paper, and then say, how can I be more honest with myself about fulfilling each one of these things? Um, because if you're aware of those values and you know what's important to you, then, you know, like for me, photography is not the most important thing in my life. Uh, my, my wife and my family is, and uh, having those connections will always trump any sort of passion of going out in the outdoors and experiencing nature. And so if I don't get to go out that month, you know, I'm definitely going to get grouchy and it's not going to be easy, but I can be okay with that because I know that uh, it's not the most important thing for me. Um, and that's not to say that it might not be for somebody else. Uh, it just depends. It's, it's really an individual thing. Um, maybe your career is the most important thing, whatever it is, but you just have to really define those values, I think. That's the key. I love I love that answer. You know, it's I get asked that question all the time, like, how do you get everything done that you do? And it's what you just described is perfect because I do the same exact thing. Like I have everything that I is the most important to me is on a list, right? Like in my head anyway. I don't have it written down, but um I put a lot of thought into it. And the things that I put energy into on a day in and day out basis are the things that are on that list, right? So yeah, I have a full-time job. Um, my boss probably isn't listening, but <laughs> my job is not my, my um, it's not my number one thing, you know, like it, it's a, it's a good job. I enjoy my job. Um, it serves a purpose and I do a pretty damn good job at it, but I don't put like all of my eggs in that basket. Right. Like I value my health a lot. So I'm constantly working out. I value my kids, my kid. I value my wife. So like I spend time with them. Like my wife's super into watching baseball now. Well, you know, baseball is pretty time intense activity. Watch baseball. But last week we've spent like we've watched like four games together, you know, start to finish. I mean, that's time I could be whatever, editing photos or spending time at work or whatever, but I, I value that time too. So I think what you just said is really important for people to hear is that you put your energy into what you value. And I think that's an important message that people need to think about. Uh, when did you make that realization? I don't know. I feel like that's, you know, maybe somebody, it's just always been there. It's always how I've tried to orient my life. Maybe somebody as a kid growing up told me that, or I just picked it up somewhere along the way that you just need to have these these guiding principles, these overarching values. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I've seen definitely it's 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 become more uh, important to me and cemented in my mind. Like I've, I've taken it less for granted now that I see other people struggling with that um, because I see the kind of imbalance that it cre that it results in in people's lives. Um, and and you know, not to say I'm perfect at it either. I definitely find myself out of balance from time to time, and you have to correct course. And that's when you need to go back and revisit whether you have them written down or just floating around in your head, which by the way, I would recommend writing them down. Um, but uh, yeah, for whatever reason, that's just always been there for me. Um, and I guess I'm just fortunate enough to have picked that up along the way. Somebody wise was able to pass that along to me or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point though. Like it probably doesn't come naturally for everyone. Um, I think part of it, you know, it's interesting. I think, what is it? Jay, Jay Mizell said, if you want to make interesting photographs, become a more interesting person. And yeah. I think becoming a more interesting person requires a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness of in, in what ways are you interesting and in other ways that you're not. And 
and I think back to my own upbringing, uh, my own upbringing, and like things that happened to me, and also how I responded to those things. Like those are the things that shaped some of those habits we're discussing. Like, for example, when I was twelve, uh, both my parents were laid off from work, and I started hanging out with this kid down the street, and we would ride our bikes down. I lived um, right next to I twenty five in Colorado Springs, and we would ride our bikes down like within 30 feet of the interstate and we throw big rocks at trucks on the on the interstate and like we hit lots and lots and lots of cars like holy yeah and we got caught and i like i had to go to court and my parents didn't have money so i had to pay all these court fines myself and like that shaped me as as who i am like because i had to learn about work ethic and like, even though I didn't want to mow lawns and do all this other stuff, I had to, or else I was going to go to, you know, juvenile detention or whatever. So, you know, that shaped me. And then I had another event happen to me in high school where I fractured my L5 vertebrae playing football. And I had to, I was a, I was an all-star pitcher. And so like football wasn't really my thing, but baseball was. And I had to relearn after like six months of not doing anything and wearing this plastic brace 24-7 I had to do all this physical therapy and then I had to relearn how to throw a baseball. And like that takes massive work ethic and commitment and like prior prioritizing your time kind of thing. And I think once you go through a couple of things like that in your life, you just kind of develop that foundation. Uh, did you have any events like that that happened to you? Yeah, you know, for sure. Um, I've been through plenty of my own things. Uh, I think we, like it or not, we we are all a product of what we've been through and the, the challenges and the positives as well, regardless of, you know, our idealistic view of ourselves or the persona that we, you know, front to the world. Um, and that's where the, that's where the self-reflection comes in. You really do have to, to, to look inward. It's a scary thing to do. And I think, uh, you know, maybe that's why some people struggle with this is because it does require you to, to dig in to what has shaped you and a lot of those are going to be those traumatic events or the, the trials and the struggles you've you've been through, um, and and that's going to produce that those values. Uh, but I will say that you can you can reverse it. You know, it works both ways. Uh, you you should place your you should put your time and energy into the things you value most. But if you're struggling knowing what you value most, you can reverse it and say, well, what am I putting my time and energy into? Write out your days and analyze how you spend your time and what you think about and what you feel most strongly about and you're going to figure it out pretty quickly uh what's at the top of that list um but yeah no in, in terms of uh personal personal traumas I've, i don't know without getting too specific but i've definitely been through plenty of you know i'm a pretty anxiety prone person uh been through a bit of depression and that definitely forces you to come to terms with what's most important to you because almost nothing else will pull you out of that um in terms of anxiety you know whenever you know you have those orienting values uh, defined for yourself. You're going to have less existential anxiety. Every decision you make throughout the day is now oriented towards a goal. It's not, what do I do? What do I do? You don't feel that uh, anxiety in your bones. But then in terms of depression uh, or just struggles, trials in general, whenever you know what's most important, uh, that suffering, that trial, whatever you're going through, becomes it's no longer like a, a meaningless trial that you're going through. It's kind of like, okay, I... I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know why I'm going through this or 
I know that there's uh, that at the end of the day, it's worth it to keep going and to try to come out of this kind of thing. Um, because really, you're not you're not having a hard time with the struggle in particular. You're having a hard time with the despair, the feeling of maybe this won't end. Um, and yeah, I guess I got a little deep there, but <laughs> no, that's that's where the magic happens, man. Yeah, I think. Uh, but I will will just say this: I think that nature um, and finding a deep personal connection, uh, you know, not just cliche, but really, really finding that meaning, finding what it means to you to go out and to, you know, maybe everybody should, maybe everybody owes it to themselves to go on a solo backpacking trip or to really just spend some time alone and, uh, establish that relationship. Uh, because for me, it's been huge. It's, it's, it's a massive part of my life. And, uh, it's definitely why I feel inspired to keep coming back to photography. And it's why I feel strongly about, uh, making a certain type of image um, because that that healing power like we were saying before that really is there and it, it can be uh, it can be stabilizing and beneficial in more ways than maybe some people realize love it let's wrap this puppy up so who inspires you who would you recommend how our listeners learn more about here on the podcast yeah uh, like I said I'm pretty new photographer I don't know a ton of other photographers. Prior to that uh, Discord channel, I hardly knew any other photographers. But uh, yeah, I would recommend Tristan Todd and Blake Randall to come on the show. Yeah, and Tristan, he's in Vancouver, right? BC? Yeah, yeah, he's Vancouver-based. He's doing a lot of really amazing, just mostly keeping it local there, a lot of amazing forest and canyon work in his immediate area. Really great example of uh, becoming intimate with your local environment uh, and really knowing your subject. Um, that really comes across as you look through his portfolio. Nice. And what can you tell us about Blake? Well, I don't actually know Blake personally. <laughs> he chimes in on the Discord channel from time to time, but uh, I think uh, he's pretty close with Tristan and uh, with Matt Jackish. And yeah, I just I think uh, he should be on the podcast. Uh, he's he's got a really. I definitely take a lot of inspiration from from his style and from the types of images he's able to capture. So nice. Well, he's Devin Rogers. Thanks, man. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Of course. Well, thanks to Devin for the great chat today on the show. I am looking forward to seeing where you take your photography in the coming years. So keep up the great work. If you enjoyed our chat, you can listen to our take on why we think the wide-angle grand landscape photograph has gotten a bad rap over the past few years. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen or find a link in the show notes to financially support the podcast while gaining access to hours and hours of bonus material and early releases. Thanks to those of you that already have taken the pledge to help us out. You rock. Next up on the show, we have a special episode where Rajas Jodas Warren co-hosts with me while we interview a photographer who is currently spending a year at the South Pole, where he talked to us from. It was super fun. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.